Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Terrible Reading Club. I'm Nora McInerney. This is the world's easiest book club because you never have to meet in person. Sometimes we're not even talking about books. It is the holidays, and the reason for the season is stuff and things. If your love language is gifts or if you just come from a gifty family, I love giving gifts. In my household, I am known to do exactly what my mother did growing up. I will buy a gift for someone. I will put it away. I will forget it exists for a long time. When it comes time to wrap presents for somebody's birthday or Christmas, I'll think, didn't I get them something? No. Years or months later, the gift will fall out of its hiding place, shock me, and I will give it to the person randomly. I believe in gifting all year round, not for the sake of gifting, but because if I see something that I think will be exactly right for you, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait for our lives to be over. I don't want to wait for your birthday, a holiday. I just want to give it to you now. But for the holidays, I have trained at least my own children to turn their wanters down, doot, 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 using a mnemonic that I found on Pinterest, I'm pretty sure before I even had kids. It comes down to four things. Something you want, something you need, something to wear, and something to read. Now, the want and wear and need and read, sometimes those are all one thing. I'll be honest. This It requires a lot of creativity as a person, especially as your kids get older, because what do teenagers want? Clothes, usually. What does an eight-year-old need? Pants that fit. No one has solved children's pants. That is a market that has yet to be solved because children are people, and people have different shaped bodies. I don't know what to do. But anyways, our kids get something they want, something they need, something to wear, and something to read. Makes it very easy for me to keep track of what I've gotten for everybody. I keep it in a shared note with my husband, what I've gotten, when I've gotten it. And sometimes during the year, I might buy something and think this is for Christmas, and then they might get it. They might get it a little early because they're having a bad day or I'm having a good day and it would make me feel even better to see them happy. There is nobody who has this all figured out, least of all me. But I love giving books. I love getting books. I understand that this can be, like all gift giving, kind of a fraught experience because you are really saying a lot about your relationship to a person, about what you think about a person when you give them a book. It can be very stressful. And I do shop for books somewhat chaotically. Emma Straub called it psychotic, and I took that as a compliment. I don't know what a book is about before I read it, unless someone has told me. I'm not flipping it over to read the back. You know, I'm not reading the flap copy. I'm truly just, I sense it, and I read it, or I don't read it. So I do love wandering in to a bookstore with nary a plan in sight and just kind of seeing where things take me. As you kind of gear up 
to perhaps give people in your life some books or honestly just shop for yourself, like gift yourself some books. I thought it would be kind of fun to do a reader gift guide for different kinds of readers. And because this is a podcast and we can't talk forever, sounds like a challenge, maybe I will, we'll also have these over on our Substack, which is always linked in our show description. I'll put them up on my Instagram, what's Nora reading, and you know, we'll add to them. This is hardly an exhaustive list, but I wanted to start out with the littlest of readers, which is people who can't read, children, babies. Reading to a kid is so important in helping them build their vocabulary and getting their little brains engaged. Plus, it's a wonderful experience. I don't know what I'm going to do when there's no longer a little person bringing me a book and asking me to lay down and read it to them. I love that. I really, some of my most treasured memories aren't a memory at all. It's just the feeling of laying in bed, reading to a kid. And sometimes I would just be so swept up in the feeling of it. I would realize that I have no idea what the book is about. I was just somehow saying words like a robot while just soaking up the experience of a sweaty little head on my shoulder. A lot of kids' books are so bad. They're so bad. I have picked up kids' books, read a few pages, and been like, I don't advocate for burning books, but give me a match. This is irritating. And I won't name names because if I don't like a book, I'll just shut my mouth about it. I'm just not going to talk about it because also it's so subjective. But if I like it, I can explain to you why I like it. And that just feels more productive to kind of raise up the things that I do like than to be like, don't, this is bad. Because honestly, every book that I hate is at least one person's favorite book. Okay, so we're starting out with little kids' books. Oliver Jeffers is a writer and an illustrator. His books are very distinctive, and you might have already seen them. Um, The Day the Crayons Quit was probably my introduction to him, but truly, the best book of his that I've ever read is called Stuck, and it's so funny. Every time I read it, I truly laugh out loud. I LOL when I read his books. These are great gifts. I've yet to meet a kid who doesn't like these books. And Stuck is one that I could read a million times and never be like, oh God, you gotta be kidding me. Um, I also asked for people's recommendations and this one showed up quite a few times. It is called Hot Dog by Doug Salati. It is a picture book about an overwhelmed dachshund, and it was called An Utter Joy, and one of the best books of the year whenever it came out, which I guess was last year. I have a friend, Karen Nesvig, who's one of the producers on this podcast, who has a toddler. That's one of her favorites. Another favorite that came up a bunch of times is called They All Saw a Cat by Brendan Wenzel. I don't know who saw this cat, but it was everybody. We got several votes for The Digger and 
the duckling. If I know one thing about small children is they love heavy machinery. They go bonkers for it. They go bonkers for it in real life and even just in picture books, even in crudely drawn picture books. You know, this book is kind of giving me Are You My Mother vibes. Like, no, this is not your mother. This is a snort. But The Digger and the Duckling, highly recommended. I'm going to connect that to a book from my childhood that I don't even know if it is still in print. It's called Mike Mulligan and His Steam Shovel. This book is about heavy machinery, but it is also about the sacred love between a man and his career and the pieces of machinery that makes his career possible. This book touched me so deeply as a child, that might have been my introduction to grief. It was like nothing lasts forever, least of all a steam shovel. So Mike Mulligan and his steam shovel is the old-timey companion to the digger and the duckling. There's a series of board books called Narwhal and Jelly, which is a buddy comedy series about a narwhal and a jellyfish that has been called by Dave Pilkey, the man behind Captain Underpants and Dogman. Dogman is so funny. The most lovable duo since Frog and Toad, which is, you know, I'm hoping Dave Pilkey is not just throwing around superlatives like that because to some people, Frog and Toad means something. Some people are not just going to compare just two random buddies to Frog and Toad, unless they really mean it. And I hope Dave Pilkey means it. And if Kara's recommending this book, I think we can trust it. Speaking of Kara Nesvig, there's a book that she gave my son when he was little called The Paper Bag Princess. It is, oh, published in 1980. Oh my God. Even older than me. It's a perfect book. It is about a good little feminist tale wrapped up in a kid's story. And Ralph loved it as a little kid. And we still have it. And it is one of those keeper books. Not all kids' books are keepers. I really focus on only buying the keepers. I make good use of the library. And then if we really, really love a book, and I'm like, I want this for my potential grandkids. I want this to have at our house when other people bring over their little kids. The Paper Bag Princess is one of those books. Anxious Kids, that's a genre of child that I know something about having been one myself. Anxious Kids, kids with like a lot of big feelings. There's a book called In My Heart that is such a good physical illustration of feelings and really helps little kids verbalize and identify feelings. I love this book. I've seen it in a lot of different places. Like I feel like I saw it at Whole Foods once, and that is also a keeper book. The Worrysaurus came up a few times. Um, the Worrysaurus is specifically written for kids who have anxiety and it is a cute little dinosaur. He's a worrier. And it's good to trick kids into learning to talk about their feelings. And sometimes having a piece of fiction 
while you're sitting next to each other can kind of open up pathways for conversation or remind kids that these really big feelings that they're having, they can feel so alone. They're not alone in them. They're not the only people having them. And even if you are not feeling the same thing at the same time, they aren't alone. This is a first-time author who wrote the graphic novel, The Brothers Flick. The author is Ryan Haddock. He will be on an upcoming episode of this podcast. And it is such a lovely, perfect story, the kind of story that's for kids and for adults. Ryan lost his oldest son, Liam, suddenly when Liam was nine years old and he was already in the middle of, you know, kind of pitching and creating this Hardy Boys, magical realism, adventure, graphic novel, when his son died, and the characters are all based on his four sons. And he continued working on it and finished it in the wake of Liam's death. And these brothers explore loss and grief and adventure together. And it's so beautiful. I have bought many, many copies of this. And it is also the first book in what I hope and what Ryan hopes also will be a series. There are so many kinds of kids' books that you could talk about that I would be here literally all day talking about them, and I don't think that's a good plan. So we're not going to talk about them all day, but we will have new reader books, middle grade books, and some other graphic novels for kids over on the Substack, which you should go and subscribe to. It is free. It is fun. It is also where we give away quite a lot of books. I do want to touch just a little bit on YA and authors that you should look at if you have a high schooler, if you want to sort of dip your toe into YA, or if you want the the teenager or even yourself to be reading YA that is smart and insightful and really, really worth reading. So Emery Lord is an author who I have met in real life once. She's written six books. Her most recent is called All That's Left to Say. It is the story of a girl who is taking it upon herself to investigate the death of her cousin. And it is a story about grief and loss and substance use and what it's like to be a teenager. And it's smart and it's really beautiful. And I really liked it. I gave it to my daughter to read. And I think the first Emery Lord book I ever read was When We Collided. Oh, just great title, great book. And it didn't feel like reading YA, even though the characters were teenagers. Rainbow Roll is 
one of those writers who, to me, kind of defies genre. She wrote the book Fangirl. In the book Fangirl, the main character writes fanfic about a series of books that you can tell are kind of based on Harry Potter, but the two boy wizards are like in love with each other. And then that spun out into its own book series, like a series outside of a series. Wild stuff. I loved Fangirl, but I also loved Eleanor and Park. Rainbow Roll is one of those authors where I will read, I would read her grocery list. I just love her writing and I don't know who narrates her audiobooks, but it's always the same person and it's always so beautiful and I love her and I hope she knows that, (laughs) but her work is just so, so good. And Eleanor and Park is a keeper, like a real like keep keeper. Fangirl was such a great book to listen to in the car with all of our kids on a really long road trip. I also have it in paper because I really wanted it. Kathleen Glasgow has been on the podcast before. She wrote Girl in Pieces. She wrote How to Make Friends with the Dark. She wrote You'd Be Home Now. Those are all really realistic fiction, technically YA, but again, it's all about really, really difficult stuff, which is you know, what teenagers experience or witness or gives them a glimpse into how other people may live. And Girl in Pieces came from her own experiences with self-harm as a teenager. It has been a New York Times bestseller many times over. And Kathleen is just such a gifted writer. And she's also sort of expanded her repertoire into mysteries and her mysteries that she wrote with um, her co-author Liz Lawson. These are Nancy Drew meets Riverdale books. The series is called The Agathas because these are two teenage girls who are obsessed with Agatha Christie and who also happen to live in a place where crazy things are happening and bad things are happening. And the first one is called The Agathas. The follow-up is called The Night in Question. These just doot, 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 doot. They just bop along. They are so satisfying. They are so cozy and they'd be a great gift. The hardest genre of reader to shop for is a father, a dad of literally any kind, but I'm talking specifically my dad's dad, so not him, but father-in-law, father's-in-law, who somehow always have a bookshelf full of like Dean Koontz, Clive Cussler. Prove to me Clive Cussler is a real person. Never seen him in my life. How's he writing all these books? Who besides a father-in-law has read a Clive Cussler? Reveal yourself. If you have read Clive Cussler, send me a book report, 500 words on my desk tomorrow. Who are these men whipping out all these airport bestsellers, and why won't they stop? (laughs) My mission when I buy a book for my father-in-law is to just sort of like widen out his aperture, right? Just sort of be like, oop, how can I sneak in something that is associated with the genres you like? He likes thrillers, just thrill. He just, he's here for the thrills. Okay. You meet Jim, you know, he's here for the thrills. If you've met Jim, you know what I mean. And that I am joking. 
A book he loved was Drowning by T.J. Newman. He read it, and then he went and read her first book, Falling. Her, her, T.J. Newman's a woman. Plot twist. Tricked him into reading a lady book, okay? And you too could trick your father-in-law into reading a work by a woman. T.J. Newman used to be a flight attendant, famously wrote falling on like, you know, cocktail napkins while all the passengers were sleeping. And I do not like thrillers. As a rule, I don't like to be thrilled. I'm here for comfort. I cannot handle suspense. I've been known to flip to the back of a book just to make sure everything, you know, if I know where we go, I can somehow enjoy part of the ride. But I read Drowning by the side of a pool, which sounds so glamorous, but I do live in Arizona. It was a staycation, ripped right through it. I was like, holy crap. Elevated heart rate, handed it to my husband. He read it in a few hours. He was like, holy crap, this book. Give it to my father-in-law. He's hooked. It's so good. And, you know, the cover, again, looks very masculine. They won't know. Somebody said Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabriel Zevin. Gabriel Gab- Gabrielle Zevin. Gabriel and Gabrielle are two different names. They're all very hard for me to say. This was, I think, one of the novels of the year. It's a beefcake. It's a lot of pages. It is so good. I loved every minute of it. I did not know, because I never know, that this was a book about video games and love and life. And I think that this would scratch a very similar itch for any father-in-law. I think this could be a hit. And it would also give you, it gives you something to talk about. If you can give somebody a book that you loved, it gives you something to talk about other than weather, sports, and weather. In a similar vein, I think having anything that is creative nonfiction too. I got a few recommendations for The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson, which I think could also be a really great book and also give you something to talk about. Uh, The Warmth of Other Suns is about the great migration of Black Americans out of the South. And if your father-in-law likes history, if your father-in-law likes American history, it is a book that you might consider giving him. I cannot say enough things about the book Slender Man by Kathleen Hale. Kathleen Hale is just a very, very, very gifted writer. This reads like an extended Vanity Fair piece. It reads like a movie. It is tragically a very, very true story of mental illness and violence and the violence of our criminal justice system and our horrifying mental health care system in America. If your father-in-law is already reading like dark thrillers, thrill him with a dark tale of, you know, present day America. A few other themes that came up and themes and recommendations, authors that are kind of expand your father-in-law's repertoire are the following. Karen Slaughter, who I love. Tana French, who I have wanted to read. And William Kent Kruger, 
who I have not read, but I know is prolific. And I know that because the very first book event that I did when I had one book, I was unfortunately seated next to William Kent Kruger, who said he would sign his entire backlist and he had a stack of them. And I went after him and I said, I'll also sign all my backlist. It's one book. He was very lovely. He was very, very lovely. And I was just like a little baby author. And he was so nice about it. We're moving through the family tree. We're moving on to moms, mothers-in-law, like your favorite sister, things like that. Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. As usual, I didn't know anything about this book. And you know what else I didn't know about? I didn't know anything about theater. I didn't know anything about farming. I didn't know anything about anything. And after I read this book, I felt like I knew the secrets of the universe. I felt like everything was going to be okay. I cannot explain what this book did to me other than soothe the very core of my soul. I've heard that Meryl Streep did the narration of the audiobook. Once I knew that, I could read the book in her voice in my head. I loaned that book to my neighbor, who is in her 70s. Catherine, I do want it back. If you like Ann Patchett, you will also like Hello Beautiful. The author is Anne Napolitano. Yes, Anne Napolitano. Every time I say that, I'm like, no, it's Neapolitan. No, it's Anne Napolitano, okay? This comes recommended from Kara Nesvig. Again, I don't know anything about this book. I don't want to know anything about this book, so I will not read the description to you. Trust me trusting Kara that if Kara says Hello Beautiful is a good book for your mom, your mother-in-law, your sister, or yourself, that it is. Okay? In Kara, we trust. There are a few books that I kind of like keep on hand, um, books that are useful to give to people who you love, who you want to feel loved. And one of those books is Tiny Beautiful Things, which is a collection of, I, th- I think, just Cheryl Strayed's greatest hits. I have this book. I have a signed version of this book. It is also a keeper book, but it's also a book that I will buy from time to time in multiples so that I have it to give to somebody who needs like a little like pick-me-up kind of, or needs like kind of a little bit of a, a comfort read. And the other book that falls into this category is anything by Pema Chodron, but specifically When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. I have so many copies of that. I have one that is underlined heavily. And sometimes I will go through and like make similar underlines, but I keep the main underlined one for myself. Don't ask. Don't ask questions. It makes sense to me. And another author who falls into the same category is Anne Lamott. Yes, Anne Lamott is religious, but she's not a jerk about it. You know what I mean? There are people who really use like their religion is kind of a blunt force object, a way to sort of like bypass all the difficulty in your life. She doesn't do that. She just happens to be a person who is a very keen observer of the world around her and the emotional world around her, who also happens to find a great amount of comfort in Christianity. 
And yet I wouldn't call her a Christian author. And I should probably examine that a little bit more closely because I don't think she would mind it, but also maybe she would. But also I just don't want people to like be turned off by a book because of that, if that makes sense. I don't know. I love all of her books, but Stitches and Help Thanks Wow, Help, Thanks, Wow, are just really beautiful. They're really beautiful. They have just enough in them where you can read a little bit, like a chapter at a time, set it down, come back to it. And they're also really beautiful books to give somebody. They're like thin, small, hardcover volumes, and they look really good as a set. They look great on a bookcase. And what do we always say? It's what's on the outside that counts. What do we always say? Judge the book by its cover. What do we always say? Judge people by the books on their bookshelf. That's what we always say. I have another genre of books. I have another genre of books that might not make sense to anybody else, but pop culture people love to read. If you have a friend who loves Bravo, if you have a friend who loves following Dumois, if you are that friend, I love pop culture books. And I also love pop culture books that are kind of like almost like historical a little bit. Liking pop culture does not make you dumb. It does not make you, you know, silly. And I do think that the Britney memoir is going to be a very gifted book this year, as it should be, okay? Now that we freed Britney, we all have to do our part to continue to support her and to bear witness to all of her suffering. It is very clear because, you know, the book kind of leaves off right after the dissolution of conservatorship. That's it. The book also stops before she gets a divorce. So can't wait till the next Britney memoir. But another book, if somebody liked the Britney memoir, is Julia Fox's memoir, Down the Drain. It is punchy. It is in the voice that if you know who Julia Fox is, you kind of know what that voice is going to be. And also it might surprise you a bit. Julia Fox's another example of how much we just love to hate women. I hated the trend on TikTok that then just went everywhere where like somebody cut out that soundbite of her saying uncut gems on call her daddy. I was just like, God damn, there's no good way to be a woman. Sorry. Sorry. She talks. Sorry. She has a voice. Sorry. She says words in a way that you don't like. Good God. Everyone was piling on. I hated it. But anyways, the Julia Fox down the drain memoir would be a great gift for a person who loves pop culture. I also read this year or last year, I read Ladies Who Punch, the true story of The View. Do you remember The View? Do you remember when The View started? Tabloid magazines were reporting on like a daily talk show and the host. It was such a weird time to be alive. And if it feels like a fever dream, if you're like, oh my God, I vaguely remember that. Lady Supunch, it was dishy, it was gossipy, it was bitchy. I loved it. Similar and different is Not All Diamonds and Rosé, the inside story of the real housewives from the people who lived it. Look, 
there was just a recent piece in either Vogue or Vanity Fair about, you know, when you watch Real Housewives, you suspend your belief, what you know, which is that this is exploitation, that these are manufactured scenes, that you are watching people who are in the midst of mental health crises and or, you know, a, a lot of substances. And this book is, it's just, it's great. People love Andy Cohen. People love Andy Cohen. He's a polarizing figure. So people also hate Andy Cohen. He also wrote a book called Daddy Diaries. And if you are a Bravo person or you know a Bravo person, that might be a good gift book. You know, it's his it's his memoir about becoming a dad. This next book is a friend of the pod. I blurbed this book, which means I recommended it, and my name is on the back cover. It is called One in a Millennial. It is by Kate Kennedy from Be There in Five. It is coming out in January, so you actually can't gift it. You can't gift it, but you can give the idea of it. You can give the idea of this book. You can say, I pre-ordered you Kate Kennedy's One in a Millennial. You know, you're really giving the gift of delayed gratification. You're teaching somebody that they should cool their jets. How about that? Now, I think some of these books sort of fall into a similar category, but I was talking to somebody that I love today and they were like, does it just feel like everybody on earth is just kind of at the end of their rope and uh, kind of melting down and generally not okay? And I was like, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And if that is you, can I recommend Jenny O'Dell's first book, How to Do Nothing? And her follow-up to that one saving time. Both are books that kind of push against this relentless culture of doing and production and efficiency. I truly could not give less of a shit about being efficient. I spent, you know, 40 minutes today walking to a closed coffee shop. So, you know, who cares? Who cares? The world's going to end anyway. The world's going to end anyway. Let's not end there. Let's not end by talking about burnout. I also want to talk about books that are beautiful, like things of beauty. There is this author who I love called Leif Enger, L-E-I-F-E-N-G-E-R. And he wrote this book, so affecting, so beautiful that I won't lend it out. I will recommend you buy it, but I'm not giving it out. And it's called Virgil Wander. And it takes place on the North Shore of Lake Superior in Minnesota. Leif himself is an author who is in Duluth, Minnesota. And it is a one-man odyssey. It takes place in a world that is somehow modern and bygone. It is so touching and beautiful and so beautifully written. The use of language is just so beautiful. It is a stick to your soul kind of book. I recommended it to my mom. She bought the audiobook, listened to half of it on her flight home, landed and said I'm on my way to 
the bookstore to go buy a hard copy of it right now. I sent it to my 86-year-old uncle last summer and he wrote me hand wrote me a letter to tell me how much he liked it. I have given copies to all kinds of people in my life. I just got the next Leif Enger book. I just got an arc of it, an advanced reader copy of it. And I'm like saving it. Like I'm not opening it yet. It's sitting on my bedside table, but Virgil Wander is out now. And it is just so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. And I truly just wish more people would read it and be introduced to Leif Enger and the way that he uses language and the way that he opens up these worlds and these interior spaces and these characters that, oh God, I just, I love his writing. I'm also very tardy to the party as usual on Eve Babbitt's, okay? I people Look, everybody, everybody's read Didion. Everybody's read Didion. But only the hottest girls have gate-kept Eve Babbitt's. And I just got through the gate and I read... Slow Days, Fast Company, which is a collection of essays about her time in Los Angeles, set in the 70s. And goddamn, can this woman write a sentence? Her books are a thing of beauty. Her books are a thing of beauty. I just bought all of her backlists. These are slim little books too. So these are books that are good to give because reading you know, a 10-page essay, reading a 20-page essay and setting it down and coming back for like another bite at the apple at some point, it's just much easier. It's just much easier to do for me. Another author who falls into that same category for me is Lori Moore, L-O-R-R-I-E, Moore, M-O-O-R-E. She's written so many books and I love to see people kind of going past that first table, even in our mental bookstores to kind of go into the backlist. And I just also, I like know it means it means a lot to authors too, to have their work appreciated, not just because it's brand new, because, you know, there'll always be something new. There will always be more books, but those other ones are still waiting for you. So we are going to wrap this up. We are going to have all kinds of lists and gift guides, things beyond just books, including the book light that I recommended this summer that I have validation in the form of feedback from people who also bought it that say it really is the best book light ever. We'll have all of those over on our Substack. We'll link to that in our show description. I'm Nora McInerney. This has been Terrible Reading Club. Session adjourned. Bangs the gavel. Is that how book clubs end? I wouldn't know. I've never been in one. This is an independent podcast, so thank you for being here because you know what? We're just people doing our best in a sea of just giant companies with giant pools of money. We're out here just hanging out, making stuff we like for people we like, Our production company is called Feelings & Co. because we are here to celebrate your feelings, all of them, to help you have feelings, to force you to have feelings even if you don't want to. Just kidding. Let's not make that our tagline. 
Our team at Feelings & Co. is myself, Marcel Malikibu, Claire McInerney, Megan Palmer, Michelle Planton, and Grace Berry, and on Terrible Reading Club, it is Kara Nazveg, baby. Our episodes are either mixed by Marcel Malikibu or Amanda Romani. I think that's it. I think that's it.